I want to start this morning with a question for all of us. What is frustrating you in your life right now? What's that thing that maybe it's bothering you? Maybe it's discouraging you, it's annoying you, maybe it's even causing pain in your life. Uh, for me right now, it, it's a home transition. We're in between, we just sold a house, we're getting ready to, to build a home, and in between, uh, we're, we're in a rental, and it's an older home. And yesterday, I just stepped out of the shower in the basement, and because my wife has designated that as my bathroom, so I shower down there, but she all of a sudden runs down and she's like, oh my gosh, Chad, there's sewage coming up through the tub and the toilet upstairs. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So uh, I get dried off. I go up there and I look. And sure enough, and I, I would share pictures, but I'm not going to. It was not pleasant. And so I sent a text to the landlord. And to, like, to, to her credit, amazing. Like got a plumber over there like within an hour. And they found out there were like roots in the drain system, everything. And that's why. And so the pressure of that downstairs pump. And then I thought, I should check the basement laundry room. And I did. And the pressure in the joints, I walked in, it's dripping down from the ceiling. It's covered the washer and dryer. Yes, it was all that. It was like, I just thought, burn it all. <laughs> just like... There's no coming back from this. It's just like, really, like we were, had just gotten settled in this week. And like, we're going to actually have a break this weekend. And you know what? We just, we just laugh. But at the same time, my laughter faded as I'm with gallons of Lysol and bleach cleaning that up. It's like, really? What, what is it for you? What's frustrating you? Maybe discouraging you. Maybe it's something uh, to do with your body. Maybe it's something to do with the relationship. Maybe it's with your job. Or your lack of a job, maybe it's with a boss or a coworker, maybe it's a debt that you're carrying and it just frustrates you, you're just so tired of carrying this debt. Maybe you didn't really know how expensive kids were going to be, or potty training is about to kill you, or a loved one, maybe they're battling an illness, or your marriage, or your lack of marriage, something to do with parenting, and maybe you'd say, it's not frustrating me, it's, it's defeating me. Like frustrating would be a nice category to be in because at least there's hopes. There, there's hope. And maybe there are days you just say, maybe even today, like I'm just not sure I can even hope at this point. Maybe it's something that you're facing right now or maybe it's something painful from your past and like it just continues to follow you through your life. Maybe for some of you the question would be, what is devastating you? Maybe it's a diagnosis for you or someone you love. Maybe it's infertility. Maybe it's someone close to you. They are dying or they died in the not-too-distant past, and you'd say it's been devastating. And all of us are somewhere on that map from frustrated to discouraged to devastated. We're on this map. Something in our life lands between frustrating and devastating. While my hope every weekend is to be helpful, my hope for this weekend is more than just helpful. My hope is to be hopeful. Because for those of you in the middle of something from frustrating to discouraging, I definitely believe you can find hope in what we're going to talk about today. And if you're someone that's in the middle of something that's devastating, I don't know that there's anything that I could say that would be emotionally satisfying and be able to bring you hope in the moment, felt hope in the moment of the scenario that you may be facing. But I hope for all of us, wherever we are now or in the future, that what we discover today is that there can be hope in the middle of whatever we're going through. And here's why. 
See, no matter where we land, we all share a common response with whatever is frustrating or discouraging or defeating us or devastating us. We would all say, I wish it would go away. I wish I could change it. I wish I could fix it. I just wish it would be gone. I just wish I could avoid it. Or maybe we would say, I just wish I could remove it. I mean, have you ever prayed a remove it kind of prayer? Like, even if you don't consider yourself a Christian, uh, I, I bet you've prayed a prayer like this. God, if you're there and you're paying attention, would you just get this out of my life? And why do we pray that? Because we like comfort. We, we like comfort. We love happiness. We want to enjoy our lives. And anything that impedes that enjoyment, our response is to give a lot of energy towards getting rid of it. And we pray, dear God, bless it, heal it, fix it, change it, move it, or just remove it. Amen. And then, you ever notice, it seems like, and if you believe God is actually hearing these prayers, that, that He allows these things that we pray for Him to remove to hang, on, hang around a lot longer than we wish that He would. In fact, oftentimes, it's like it gets worse before it gets better, and that's frustrating. So today is all about what happens when remove it is not working. You have that thing. You've asked God to remove it over and over and over again, and it's not getting better. In fact, it feels like it's getting worse, but here's the challenge. What if God is up to something in the middle of that thing that you've been asking Him to remove? What if there's a reason why he's not removing it? What if there's something he wants to do in the middle of it? And see, here's what's also true of us. All of us have this, with these things in our past that we look back and we go, man, that, that was tough. That was tough to get through. It was rough, but I got through it. That's what most people do. Most people get through it. So I guess the good news is whatever it is that may be discouraging or defeating you in that category, you can at least go, well, at least I'm going to get through it. But I found that the people in my life that I look up to the most, the people that I revere the most, they're not just get through it kind of people. They don't just get through it. A few people I've known, they actually get something out of it. They're the get something out of it kind of people. It's like they look back and it's like they're almost grateful. It's like, I say, like, wow, you tried for so long to have kids. And they go, oh, we had some rough days. We had some rough days. But you know what? We wouldn't change it because look at the child we got to adopt. And they bring us so much joy. And we got to give them a home in which they are loved. And they almost sound grateful because they didn't just get through it. They got something out of it. Or somebody goes, you know what? I was single for a long time. And I did not want to be single I wanted to get married long before I actually did, but it just was not happening for me. But you know what? In the middle of all that, I feel like something happened inside of me that was almost worth the pain of having it happen in the first place. Or my aunt and uncle in the years following the death of my 16-year-old cousin, Chrissy, there was just something very special about them beforehand, but afterwards, oh my gosh, there was just something about the way they viewed God and viewed people and viewed life and how it shaped them for the good and how they engaged other people who explained or experienced this horrific loss. And when you would talk to them, it's almost like they would look back and they didn't just get through that loss. It's like they got something out of it. 
Or somebody would say, man, I grew up with parents like, or a parent like that should never have had children. Or I was abused as a child, and it was rough, and it was definitely created some challenges in me and in my life. But man, I see the capacity for compassion and empathy and understanding that it's given me. It made me stronger, and it's helped equip me in the kind of work that I'm able to do with others. Or at work, it's just like I feel like I've just gotten passed over so many times, and it's just so frustrating. And I just felt like I was invisible at work, like all this hard work, like what is the point? It's not getting me anywhere. God just continued to let it happen. But you know what? It's, I look back now and now I see what I learned in the middle of it and how it has shaped me and made me better as a, a person or a worker or even a leader. I'm better off. So the question for you and for me is what kind of person do you want to be? Do you want to be a just-get-through-it kind of person, or do you want to be a get-something-out-of-it kind of person? Because here's the non-negotiable for all of us. You will face trouble, some more than others, and much of it out of your control. You can only control how you respond and decide what kind of person you choose to be. Now, the past two weeks, we've been looking at this one conversation that Jesus had with his closest followers. It's in John 15, and we've been talking about this driving question that we talk about a lot at New Life, and that is, in light of what Jesus has done for me, what does love require of me? That's the driving ethic that was to set Jesus' followers apart. His followers were and are to love others as he loved us, which is a dramatic, unconditional, sacrificial, radical kind of love. So this question applies to every scenario in life. What does love require of me? But what we've said is if we try to do this on our own and on our own strength, we will only end up frustrated and discouraged because we can't do it on our own. It requires a very specific relationship with Jesus. So we've been digging into this teaching of Jesus where he's talking with his closest followers saying, listen, this is what a relationship looks like with me. So if you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus, he's talking to you. He's giving you a glimpse of the potential for all of us when it comes to this kind of relationship that he wants to have with us. And here's the verse that we've been building on. It's John 15 verse 5. Jesus says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. I have a role to play. You have a role to play. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branch. Which one produces life? The vine does. The branch is just a conduit for everything else that happens. Jesus says, that's the kind of relationship that I want to have with you. And he says, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I remain in you, it's a simple word remain. It means if you abide in me, if you stay connected to me every day, connected to, living in me, living with me, if you stay close to me, if you will bear much fruit, lots of fruit will come out in your life, not because you've tried and worked so hard, but because of who you're connected to. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And in week one and week two, I kind of skipped over in an extremely powerful part of this conversation, partly because, honestly, it's not fun. It's not emotionally satisfying. In fact, you're probably going to say, I kind of wish this wasn't in there. Because while we focused on what love requires between us and God and us and others, there's also a what love requires aspect that's very personal and it involves God's activity in our life. It's what love requires in our life and how we choose to respond to it. But honestly, it's no fun. 
And we, don't, and we wish God did not act this way or work this way. But Jesus introduces God as the per- perfection of Father. And as we're going to see, we all experience this in life. A good, you know, a good parent in love is actively going to be involved in leading their children towards becoming a healthy, mature, responsible, productive adult that hopefully makes the world a better place. But sometimes to do that, this kind of love requires that we experience some discomfort so we can grow. So here's the way the whole thing starts. John 15, verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Some translations translate it the master gardener. This is what my dad does. He says, my father in heaven, he's the master gardener. And this is a great way to think about God until he actually starts getting up in your garden. Because here's what he does. Verse 2, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So these aren't branches that are disconnected. These are connected branches. Every branch in me that is bearing no fruit, he, in most of our English translations, it says he cuts off. Now, I'm not sure why it is translated that way. I'm not sure why it's translated as cuts off because the Greek word here is aereo, which means kind of like aerate, to raise from the ground, to uh, take up, to raise up, to elevate, to lift up, to draw up. In fact, it's the same word that's used when Jesus talks about taking up his yoke or he talks about us taking up our cross. And this is an important distinction. Because the term to cut off would imply it's like God looks at us, and if we're not producing fruit, it's like, well, slacker, off you go. And it's like you're cut off, you're just disposed of, that somehow you're no longer a part of Christ or what he offers, and it's just a horrible translation. And it stands in stark contrast to a prophecy hundreds of years ago from the prophet Isaiah describing the Messiah in the future. It's so beautiful. He said, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. So the more accurate translation is one of tenderness and of care. It means to lift up, that he lifts up the branches that are bearing no fruit. If you've ever been to Northern California, been able to visit a a vineyard, my wife and I have had the chance to do that. Maybe you visited somewhere else. There are vineyards in Kansas. They're just doing their best to compete. Uh, I've done weddings at at vineyards. Those are always fun. Uh, But maybe you've seen this before. A vine gets to growing and, and the, the branch, maybe a branch begins to grow downward. It grows down to the ground. So it's on the ground. It's in the dirt. And it, so it's not getting good light. It's not getting good air. It lacks the space to grow. So the gardener, he comes and he doesn't cut it off because that would be a waste of a good branch. It's a perfectly good branch. It just needs help. So he gently takes the branch and he dusts it off and he lifts it up and he, he pins it up onto the line or onto the trellis. So now... Now it can get the light and the air and the space that it needs so that fed by the vine, now in this right environment, lifted up, fruit can grow. But the branch is still remaining in the vine. So he lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he showers with good things. Which is what we think it says. It's what we want it to say, but it is not what it says. You know, we want it to be like, God's like, oh my gosh, you are bearing fruit, way to go. I saw you be generous. This next week you're going to get a surprise promotion and a pay raise. I've seen you become more self-controlled. That's awesome. You know, you've been single for a while. I'm going to get you this awesome date with this beautiful single person tomorrow. You know what? Uh, You've been so nice lately. I'm just going to make it so that you're prom king because I love you. But we know that's not the way that life works. And that's not the way that God works. And that's not what a good gardener does. So why would we expect anything less from a master gardener? 
Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Now, my least favorite word in there is every. Every single branch, each one of us, every branch in your life that's bearing fruit. Jesus says, God comes along from time to time. Hey, that's excellent fruit. You're starting to snip. We're going to grow something bigger. We're going to grow something better. He prunes so that it will become more fruitful. That's what God does. Now, after hearing that, some of you might go, I think I've got some language now. I'm in a season in my life where I feel like I'm being pruned. Oh, and by the way, I'm not a fan. And you might be right. I think we can all agree pruning is not fun. But this is what the master gardener does. That every branch that has no fruit on it, he prunes. But why? Because when you prune a branch, it becomes more dependent upon the vine. When you cut, when you cut a branch back, you put it in a position where now it has to draw from the vine in a way that it's never had to before. In the springtime, that's why those, many of us who like our yard work, we scalp our yards. Why? Because somebody scalps their yard and then somebody that's not trained or they don't know and be like, ah, you cut it a little, took a little too much off the top. Like, no, this is how it works. You cut it way back and now it can breathe and grow even better and it does. Or you prune a hydrangea or a flowering bush or a fruit tree and it doesn't just grow back with one. It grows back with two or three or four in areas it never would have otherwise. It reaches a potential that was otherwise impossible. It becomes even more fruitful. That's the point of pruning. And at the same time, the same, this is the same in our relationship with God. That every now and then, He'll pull out the shears in my life or in yours, and He prunes an area. And then we go, God, what the heck? Like, I was doing great. Like, everything was fine. I didn't need to change that. And all of a sudden, I've got a, a remove-it kind of prayer for this situation that was fine until you got involved, God. And God's like, it, it's okay. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm at work in you. And I'm going to let it stay a little longer because I'm, I'm pruning you. I want to help you grow. Over, and over time, that's exactly what happens. You end up reaching a potential that otherwise you never would have reached. And I just know I've seen this again and again in my life. I've had some major, major things happen in my life from a betrayal that cost me a role to other situations of unexpected changes. And sometimes they were consequences of choices that I made. And I look back on those situations where one situation had to completely uproot my life and my family's life because of a betrayal. But I look back and I go, you know, I would never want to go through that again. But I'm, I'm so grateful because I see how it stretched me and grew me and matured me and deepened my faith in a way that never would have been deepened. And if you're being pruned right now, one of the things that God wants to do in your life is He wants you to become more aware of how dependent upon Him you are, how you really are. It's no fun, but it's true. Because honestly, we are least aware of our need for God in our life when everything is going great, right? But then suddenly something goes off the rails or something changes. What happens? We start praying. We start asking questions. We start turning to God. Because this is what we want. We want God, remove it. Okay? You just want it to go away. But God, He wants to use it. And those are two very different approaches. We pray all the time, God, I want it gone. And God says, you know what? I'm going to leave it a little bit longer. Not because I'm mad at you. But because I want you to grow, and it's the only way that you're going to be able to grow. So would you allow me to use it before I remove it? And some of you going, you might go, 
Okay, so are you saying that the loss that I'm experiencing, God caused? Are you saying the pain that I'm experiencing, God caused? Are you saying the tragedy in my life, God caused? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that pain and brokenness in this world is going to come one way or another. Pain and brokenness in your life, it's, it's just part of this life until this earth is done and God makes everything new. The point of Jesus is not to say about where your pain is from, but about what God wants to do with your pain. In fact, a, a little later in the same conversation, Jesus would say, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And the implied word is because in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And then to demonstrate what he meant by what he said, he would overcome his own murder. So it's not about where it's from. It's about where it's headed. It's about how God wants to use it. That in the middle of your troubles and mine, in which you're going to, that you're going to have in this broken world, from frustrating to devastating, Jesus says you can take heart. You can experience something that the Apostle Paul would later describe as a peace that surpasses all understanding that will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So in the middle of your trouble that's so frustrating, maybe it keeps you up at night, what if you came to the realization maybe God is up to something? In the middle of your financial pain or stress, what if your perspective shifted from God get rid of it or fix it to God is maybe trying to use this in my life somehow for something in the future? And see, Jesus has the ultimate authority. I don't. Jesus has the ultimate authoritative voice to give us hope because he held firm to this perspective of God when God, who he referred to as Father, when he referred to as Abba, as Daddy, allowed him to face wrongful arrest, persecution, torture, and a horrific death. And Jesus embraced that trouble. And the hope that Jesus gives us because he was resurrected from the dead to something far, far unimaginably greater as a result. The hope that Jesus gives us is that our God in the middle of any tragedy can bring about life. You may feel like God hasn't just pruned me. He has chopped down the whole tree. And of course you feel that way. I would never diminish those feelings or dismiss them. Of course you feel that way. But what Jesus teaches us is what he demonstrated for us, what I have witnessed firsthand in my over five decades of life over and over and over again, is that our God, in the middle of the worst pain, in the middle of the darkest hour, he can grow life in the middle of anything. God's goal for you is not just to remove it, though I hope he does. I hope he does it quickly. But even greater than that, God's goal is to grow you because he is preparing each and every one of us, if we'll let him, for something far, far greater for the future. And we so easily lose sight of this fact because our world gets so small in this world, but that he's preparing us for eternity. Because if we're a follower of Jesus, we believe that there's life after this life, that on the other side of things, we are not going to be around floating like fat naked babies on fluffy white clouds with harps. I mean, that's an, a myth. That's a cartoon that doesn't even line up with what we learn from Jesus and the apostles. Rather, 
we discover that there is something on the other side of this life that is active and engaged. There will be some sort of work to do, but without all the frustration and the barriers and the, and, the, and the angst of it that we experience in this life, it will be life as it was meant to be, and we are being prepared for it. So, of course, a good God, a good Father would prepare us for that. So whatever we face, He wants to use it even when you want Him to remove it. So what would it look like for you to begin to change your perspective in your own life, to take a posture and a position in your life, whatever it is that maybe God wants to use it before He removes it? What would shift in your mind if you said, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to stop spending all this energy asking you to remove it and fix it and change it, and I'm going to start spending my energy on how do you want to use it? In fact, maybe you've never considered this before. But what if the quickest way to get God to remove it is to let Him, to use, let him use it? To just surrender. I'm just, I'm just telling you, I've, I've seen this in my own life where I finally got to a point like, okay, God, I give up. I'm doing things your way. And suddenly, that thing I've been wanting or longing for for a long time, like the next day, happens. It doesn't always work that way. But what if the quickest path to get out of your life, that thing you want out, is to let go and go, okay, God, I I surrender. And though you may not remove it right now, will you show me what you're trying to show me? Will you help me to see what you're trying to grow in me, what you're trying to teach me? And and I get it. This is not an easy prayer to pray. And I know this to be true because I have prayed this prayer more than once in my life. God, as hard as it is, here's my prayer. God, I want you to use it more than I want you to remove it. If if, if I'm going to experience trouble in this life, no matter what, at least God, bring some good out of it. At least cause it to produce something good in me and through me. Because what if the greatest thing God could do for you, the most loving thing that He could do for you, is to not remove it, but use it. And imagine embracing this perspective that Jesus had and that He's calling us to embrace. What for you would shift about your past or your present? What would change about your attitude towards your pain? What if there's a level in your life that you cannot reach if God removes it right now? What if there's something big that God wants to do in your life and this is the only way to get there? And if you could know that big thing, it'd be like, okay, the road's going to be hard, but the destination is going to be worth it. What if there's a level in your life that you can only reach if you allow God to use it? And that's why I think this prayer is for all of us. God, will you use this until you choose to remove it? I still put remove it in here because it's okay. In fact, you, you should ask for that. I mean, even Jesus, again, the one we follow. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. It's not like it's just like, nobody's saying, it's just like, okay, I'm just supposed to smile and embrace this. Like, oh, well, it's from God. I'm just going to accept it. No, God's a dad. God's a dad who wants you to come to him and tell him how you feel. So if you hate it, tell him, I hate it. If you want it gone, tell him, you want it gone. 
Again, Jesus is the pioneer perfecter of our faith. He shows us what it looks like to ask God, even to plead with Him to remove it. And at the same time, to come to a place where we say, God, you know how I feel. You know I want this gone. You know I want this changed or fixed or reality changed, even desperately. But God, my overriding request is this. Please use this in my life however you want to use this before you choose to remove this. For parents of young kids, especially as parents, you know, you know how it feels to cause your children some controlled discomfort. Uh, to allow them to experience something uncomfortable or to take something away from them or, in, or leave them in a situation longer than they want. And they look at you, I thought you loved me. You don't love me. You're allowing pain in my life. You're causing pain. You're allowing pain to stay in my life. See, I feel like parenting is one of the greatest areas of my life where I have felt the most incompetent in raising four sons. Like, I just look back and I feel like even on my best days, I was an adequate parent at best. For example, as our children were growing, while we didn't have as many, they were 90s kids, so they didn't have as many screens as kids do today, but technology was still addictive. So in our house, it was uh, the Nintendo and Super Smash, uh, Xbox, and of course, TV in general. And if we would have let them, they would have played TV or played video games and watched TV all day long, and they would have been completely content. But we didn't do that. Why? Because we loved them. And we knew that they needed physical exercise. They needed fresh air and sunlight. They needed to have kid-like adventures with friends. When we built our home in Illinois and they were young, I mean, there were mountains of dirt to climb on and dirt clods to throw as far as they could and compete with one another. And uh, giant holes and fields to explore. We knew that they needed to be adventuring with friends and riding bikes and jumping on the trampoline with the sprinkler. And I would always add a little dish soap just to make it interesting. Uh, and there were times, so we would take the TV and we would take games away, uh, create empty space in their life, or sometimes we would take it away as a consequence of certain choices. And when we did that, of course, they would go, Mom, Dad, thank you so much. You are such great, loving parents. That's not what I want, but you know what's best. So I appreciate that. No, we would always hear, none of our other friends' parents do this why do we have to be like that? Once our oldest son, uh, he was in a season of making some very poor choices. We always joke, kind of, that he was either going to prison or be very successful. Thank God he avoided prison. So, but at this particular stage in his life, he was pushing all the limits. There was one day I needed something out of his car. He was out with a friend. So I used the extra key in the process. And in the process of getting his car, I stumbled on a pack of cigarettes. And a little later, when his friend dropped him off and he came in the house, I asked him about the cigarettes. He got so angry, immediately disrespectful, built up, and he finally built up to a point. He looked at me and he pointed and he said, stay out of my car. And then he went in the basement where his room was. I looked at my wife and I said, I'll be right back. And I drove down to the auto parts store and I purchased this very handy steering wheel lock. And I can't adequate parent. <laughs> Came back and I put this on his car, uh, loving, lovingly installed it, shut the door, came back in the house, plopped down on the couch, watched some VH1, I love the 80s. A few minutes later, my son came up, walked out the front door, didn't even make eye contact, headed out to his car, and then Sean and I quickly ran to the blinds, 
watching out. <laughs> Adequate parents. There's a reason why they need so much therapy. So we're watching him. He sees this unexpected foreign device. On He kind of futzed with the wheel a bit, and then he got out, and he began pacing the driveway, and we could tell he was expressing words. We were probably glad we couldn't hear. And then uh, he started heading back in the house, and I immediately ran back to the couch and laid down. My wife ran into the kitchen, and he calmly walked in. He began to acknowledge how wrong that he was. He learned his lesson. Maybe I could remove the steering wheel lock, to which I replied, no, it's going to stay there for a while. we got some stuff to process. He then kicked into attorney mode, arguing his case, but I would not be moved. And for a season, he lost his freedom and privilege to drive. Why? Oh, and by the way, I will give you a little side note, not my notes. There's a little spot right here where he tried to saw it off with a hacksaw <laughs> in the middle of the night unsuccessfully, I might add. In fact, I've told him I'm saving this for my grandchildren someday because he's got his coming. But as adequate parents, we knew he needed to experience a season of controlled discomfort for a greater good, to shape his character, to lead him towards maturity. So let's say that you are better than me and my wife. You're not just adequate. You're a good parent. Maybe you're a great parent who loves their child. So you're going to do things proactively and reactively to shape them and grow your children. Why? Because you love them. Imagine the perfection of parent, the perfection of dad, who loves you with a perfect love. How much more is he going to allow things in your life to stick around longer than you want, or remove things in your life you wish he wouldn't. He is a perfect, loving, heavenly father. How much more does he love you than any earthly parent ever could? Psalm 18, verse 30, a guy named King David, who God allowed to experience incredible discomfort and from a young age, yet he was described as a man after God's own heart. He, even through all that he experienced, he wrote this about God. As for God, his way... It's perfect. His love, his Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. So my prayer is that no matter where you land today or tomorrow or a few months from now on the spectrum from frustrated to devastated, that you would be able to embrace and shift to this mindset that you can see every struggle and every pain is something that God may be using in your life to do something greater than you could ever ask or imagine, and that the day will come, the day will come when finally it will all come together. It will all make sense, and every wrong will be made right. So I can think of no better way than to end the day with an amazing visual experience of communion. It was passed on to us by Jesus himself, again knowing all that God was about to allow him to experience knowing that the individuals in the room with him, one had already betrayed him, one would deny him, and every other one would abandon him. And he stayed the course, trusting God that he would use us all for something greater, and that on the other side of the pain laid, laid something greater. It was incomparably comparably greater. And the Apostle Paul explains communion to us in this way. He writes this, he says, for what I received from the Lord, 
what I also passed on, from, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, what you do is you proclaim the Lord's death. And what's not in there is until he comes back. So I'm going to pray. And then afterwards, maybe you want to stay seated. Uh, Just talk to God about what we've talked about. Whatever's somewhere on that spectrum for you. Just prepare your hearts and minds. But whenever you're ready, if, if you're a Jesus follower, then you're invited to go to one of the four stations that we've got on either side when you're ready. Maybe you just want to talk to God for a little bit, stay in your seats, but whenever you're ready, go to one of the stations or on either side, just take the cup, take the bread, and you can take communion there, or you can go off to the side if you want to pray there, if you're with somebody significant today, or family, and you want to just grab it and go do it as a family. This is your moment to share in something that's been passed down to us through hundreds of generations, all the way back to that upper room with Jesus It's a reminder that whether frustrated or devastated, God knows. God cares. And in the end, God is always working for our good and that he can be trusted. And until he removes it, if we will let him, he will use whatever it is for our good. A big heart for our church is to reach those that are de-churched, unchurched, seeking God. So all I have to say, if you're joining us today and, and you're not quite sure what you think of Jesus yet, don't feel pressured to do this. You just just hang out. We're so glad that you're here. But for the rest of you, if you'd say, yes, I follow Jesus, this is your moment. So let me pray. And then when you're ready, you can do that. The team's going to lead us through a song and then I'll close this out. Father, this has all been for you and God, I'm so thankful for those that took the time and the expense and even the risk to, to document the life, the teachings of Jesus, and especially the details of his death and his resurrection so that we could know this really happened because that is the foundation of our faith. And I thank you for this moment to join with hundreds of generations that have come before us to take this moment to do something that's so simple and yet so significant to remind us that no matter what the circumstances, you can be trusted for the greatness of your love that we just can't comprehend, but we're so glad to have. And so I pray that this moment for everyone that's in the room and able to join us will push everything else that they walked in the door with, that they're dealing with in their life, at work or school or relationship or whatever it is, just have a moment to know that you know their name and no matter what they face you're with them and that you're doing a good work so I thank you for this moment as we celebrate your son and your love and it's in the name of Jesus that I pray